We're one week closer to Christmas, guys. One week closer to celebrating the birthday of our Lord and Savior. You getting the excitement in the air? Yeah? Even on a gloomy Sunday like it is today, it's cold and rainy outside. Hey, props to you guys. You guys are like warriors for being here today. I always know when it's cold and rainy outside, we find out who really loves God the most. If you really love God the most, you're here on church today, and if you don't, we're praying for you out there. Hopefully, you can be as holy as we are, because we're here today, right? <laughs> Having a little bit of fun with you today. Having a little bit of fun. I know there's a lot of people that couldn't be here today. we got people traveling, people sick, and, and all that. So, uh, if you're not feeling well this morning, we just pray healing over you today in the name of Jesus, but we're glad that you're here today. I'm so excited about Christmas I love it. Every time Christmas comes around, I get this flooding of memories, you know, from childhood. And then I get memories of just recent Christmases and things that, that, uh, that my crazy kids have done and stuff that my good-looking wife and I have experienced. You look good this morning, by the way. Got your black boots on today, rocking it, looking good, girl. You're looking good. A little private moment y'all got to share with me and my wife this morning. <laughs> But when I think about Christmas, I think about a lot of stuff. You know, how many of you have gotten your Christmas shopping done already? A few. Y'all are hardcore. Teach me. Teach me how you do this because we haven't been able to get all of ours done just yet. But my wife is is killing it. She's she's knocking it out, but we're not there yet. Christmas shopping. How many of y'all plan on doing a lot of traveling for Christmas this year? few of us, how many of y'all are just locking it down and staying home and saying, if you want to see me, come see me because I ain't going anywhere. Yeah, that's a good strategy. That's a real good strategy to have. Um, presents and traveling is all part of Christmas. But, you know, the, to me, one of the most fun parts of Christmas is the music. I love Christmas songs. You guys like Christmas songs? Yeah. I like Christmas songs, but I like Christmas songs after Thanksgiving. Christmas music before Thanksgiving, that's like a party foul right there. And I know there's a movement to start Christmas in like February of next year. Christmas music is going to start. We're going to push back that oppression and defend the Thanksgiving line for Christmas. Everything after Thanksgiving, it's on for Christmas. But I love, I love Christmas music and I love celebrating. And I thought maybe before we got too deep into the message today, we could listen to a little bit of Christmas music together. What do you think? I brought some songs for us to listen to. Let's drop the lights, gentlemen. Ah, here's some Christmas classic. Ah, lean into the one that you love. Chestnuts roasting on an open ah, fire. Yeah. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. A little bit of Nat King Cole right there. If you don't know about that, you need to get some education on some Christmas music. Maybe that's not your song. Maybe that's not your song. That's okay, because I got you covered this morning. We brought another one for you to listen to this morning. Larry, why don't you go ahead and play the next one for us today? Everybody knows. Here's another classic. y'all singing if you know it sing it just like the ones I used to know maybe that's a little too old for you 
Maybe you like something a little more recent. Don't worry, I got you covered this morning too. I brought some Mariah with me today. So Larry, go ahead and let's play some let's play some Mariah this morning. All the women are starting to move already. This is a lady song right here. Some of y'all were trying to hit that note. I got news for you. You're not Mariah. You're not Mariah. I think she's about the only one that could hit that thing like that. I've tried and I've hurt myself several times. I've come close in the shower a few times, but I've never been able to do it. Never been able to do it. All I want is you. Now, listen, we're having fun, right? Listen, you might be here and Christmas music is not your thing and you're just rolling your eyes saying, Dear God, will you please just shut up with this stuff and get into the message? I got you covered this morning. Two. I brought a song just for you. Larry, why don't you play this last You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. <laughs> There we go. We're having fun today. Hey, are you awake now? Yeah. yeah, I love the celebration of Christmas. I love all the stuff that comes with it. But guys, we can't forget the reason for Christmas is what? Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to ask you again. The reason why we celebrate Christmas is because of who? Jesus. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords is all about Him. And that's what the series is about as we lead into the Christmas season uh, media guys, if you will, bump the lights up so they're not sitting in the dark. There we go. Now we're all here together today. Um, it's all about Jesus, though. If you open your Bibles or your tablets or your phone or whatever you got, let's look at a passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. All the notes for the message today are on the YouVersion Bible app also, so if you want to pull that up, uh, we made it real easy for you to follow along with what's happening here today. This is the, the passage of scripture that we're focusing on for this series as we head into Christmas Day. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm grateful that God is all of those things to each and every one of us. Last week we talked about how God's our wonderful counselor. Today I want to talk to you about how he is our mighty God. You know, we serve a powerful God. We serve an all-sufficient, all-powerful, mighty God. He's not some little scrawny little wimp of a God. He's a powerful, 
God. In fact, when you look at the meaning of the word mighty God that's used here in this passage of Scripture, it's a phrase, it's worded like this, El Gabor. And El Gabor means God, the mighty warrior, and champion. God, the mighty warrior, and champion. How many of y'all seen the movie Troy? It's going way back a little bit. I, I got problems with the movie Troy because there's like some really good fight scenes, and I'm a sucker for fight scenes. And then the way that it ends is kind of cheesy. Like if you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil the ending for you. But this wimpy little guy with a bow gets to take out like this awesome warrior. And I got serious problems with a pretty little girly guy taking out this fierce warrior. You know, I had a problem with that. But the movie starts out with this scene where two armies are fighting each other. Y'all seen this, right? And so they say, hey, instead of letting all these people fight, let's settle this the old way. You bring out your champion, and I'll bring out our champion, and we'll let them fight. And the winner, is, that's how it's settled. And so they say, yeah. So this one army brings out this beast of a dude. Y'all saw, saw the movies. He brings out this beast of a dude. And then the other army brings out this kind of normal-looking guy named Achilles, played by Brad Pitt. And I love that scene because you got this big old beefed-up guy, and Brad Pitt's character just comes like running up to him, and he does this little juke and jumps and just like that, and takes the guy out. The champion defeating the champion, you know. It, was, it did it just like that, too, with the sound effects. You have to replay it a lot, and you can catch it. But I love that because he just straight takes the guy out, you know. One move, one strike of the sword, and he just falls down dead, you know, just because he was a champion representing his army. This is what this passage of Scripture is saying about God. That he is our warrior champion that represents us, that fights the battle for us so that we don't have to fight it for ourselves. We serve a God that goes before us and gives us victory before we even get to the battle. You know that, right? And just like the old champion would represent the army, this is saying that God represents us as a warrior champion so that we don't have to worry about getting caught up in the battle. He's already won it for us. I'm telling you today, we serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. He's a warrior. He's a champion. He's above only. He's not beneath. He is the, he is the Alpha and the Omega. The Bible says He's the beginning and the end. There is no other beside Him. No one can touch His power. No one can touch His glory. We serve a God that is undefeatable, that's unapproachable by the enemy. We serve a God that is above. He has a name that is above every other name. And the word says that in the end, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that our Jesus is Lord because he is a mighty warrior and a champion in our lives. Unapproachable, undefeatable. That's who he is. It's amazing to me when you think about how awesome our God is and how powerful that he is. It's amazing. He's a warrior champion for us. And I want to make sure that I've got an appropriate view of who he is. Like C.S. Lewis was famous for this quote. He said, I don't want my image of God. I want the true God. I don't want my image. I don't want my idea of who God is. I don't want my perception or my own perspective of who God is, I want to know the true God. I don't want anything 
to obscure that. I want to see him and all of his power and all of his splendor and all of his glory and not, and not dilute who he is because of my own idea of who I think he is. That's how I want to see God. Because he's mighty. Because he's powerful. Because he's a champion for all of us. Um, and when you think about how awesome God is, think about how awesome creation was. We serve a God that was so powerful, or not so was, but is so powerful. He stood up and spoke and created all of this stuff that we see today. And not just spoke, but it was like the, the words that he spoke carried weight. Like when the Bible says that, that God stood up and he said, let there be light. It wasn't like a one momentary thing where it was light he's so awesome the word that he spoke was eternal and ongoing so it's not like he just said let there be light he says like he said let there be light and it just keeps going it just keeps going because of the eternal power of the spoken word of our God think about the act of creation God created this planet that we live on and I brought some photos to show you just to bring this kind of in a perspective today we live on a planet called earth I brought some photos to show you. Put that picture of Earth. This is our planet. God spoke that into existence. That's what the Bible says. Did you know that science is backing up the theory of intelligent design more and more every day? Evolutionists are scrambling trying to come up with a way to prove their theory. It's a theory. You know, there is no hard evidence to prove the theory of evolution. But there is mounting evidence to prove the science of creation. You hear how I said that, right? Mounting evidence. So it's coming to the point now where anyone who has a brain and the ability to think looks at the evidence. It all points towards intelligent design. But he didn't just create this planet. He created the solar system that our planet is a part of. And I brought a picture of the solar system here for you. Now this is kind of small on the screen and I apologize, because I think this is the only way we could get it to fit on the screen um, in this size. But you see that little, if you see the red on the screen, it's pointing to where our planet Earth would be <coughs> in our solar system. And what's crazy is, like, we know a lot of solid information about our solar system, but we're discovering new things all the time about our solar system. We're discovering new stars, new moons, we're discovering new... Um, uh, groups of asteroids. We're, we're, just, we're, we're discovering all kinds of new stuff about our solar system. And when you think about how God created our planet and created the solar system, it's awesome. I feel like I got lied to a lot in my childhood. And not just about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and, and, and all that stuff. I got issues with that. But I got lied to um, by this lady that taught me this song called He's Still Working on Me. He's, I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't want to put you through it. But there's a line in the song that says, It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. And I thought, wow, God is awesome. He created all of that. But, you know, what God created in the act of creation goes way beyond our solar system. Our solar system is actually part of several solar systems that sit in the galaxy that we're located in. So just like we've got a sun and multiple planets and moons and countless stars um, that, that sit around us, these solar systems are in operation around us. 
with their own sun-sized star, planets, moons, all of that in motion around us. This is kind of like a neighborhood of solar systems located around us in our little section of the galaxy. And I'll show you what I mean. Go to this next picture. This is a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. Isn't God awesome? Isn't it awesome that he created all of this? You see where those red letters are? There's a little line that's pointing to where we think our group of solar systems sit and that little section of the Milky Way galaxy. All those other lights, all that other space are solar systems and planets and stars just like the ones that are surrounding us that fill up the galaxy. We think we know about this, but there's really only so much we know about this because we're still learning stuff about our own solar system. Our galaxy is so huge, it is full of countless billions of solar systems, trillions upon trillions of stars and systems just in our galaxy. God spoke all of This is how awesome and mighty our God is. But I want to give you a bigger picture of what he did in it, just in the act of creation. Because just like our galaxy is huge, our galaxy is surrounded by other galaxies represented here. And these are the ones that we know about. Andromeda, and then you've got, you've got some others that are creeping around in there. And they form kind of a galactic neighborhood. These are the ones that are just around us and closest to us. And here's what's crazy. Those galaxies are just as full of billions of planets, billions of stars, billions of solar systems, just like our galaxy is. Amazing. And our God spoke all this and formed it in creation. Just to give you a picture of how big this actually is, I want to show you another photo. Put this other one up. This is amazing. Because what I just showed you were local galaxies that were around us. These are larger clusters of galaxies, groups of galaxies that surround our group of galaxies. Uncountable solar systems and planets. Uncountable. Uncountable. It's huge. It's vast. And these are just local groups of galactic clusters. Now I'm going to show you another picture that's just going to blow your mind. This is a larger picture of what's called a supercluster. So all of those galaxies that I just showed you on this last picture, go back one more picture. That right there is a group of countless galaxies in a cluster. Now go to the one we were just on. This is groups of groups of galaxies, clusters of clusters of galaxies. It's impossible to calculate. And this is just what we think we know about the universe. This is how vast the creation of God is. And all of these clusters of countless galaxies and countless solar systems come together to form this next picture. Look at this next picture. This is the known universe. This is just what we've been able to get a hold of. This is just what we're able to see. There's no telling what's beyond our field of view. There's no telling what's out there. 
every dot that you see on that screen are gigantic clusters of galaxies. Countless, countless, full of trillions of planets, uncountable moons, uncountable stars. And our little bitty cluster of billions of galaxies, uncountable solar systems that this little blueberry called Earth is in the middle of, it's somewhere under that red lettering where that line is pointing. That's where we think we sit in the known universe. That's how awesome our God is. That's how big our God is. That's how mighty our God is. This is just what he's able to speak and create. Can you imagine what he could do when he gets ready to draw his sword and actually go to battle? Can you imagine how powerful a God that could speak all of that into existence would be when he really decides he wants to go to work and fight on your behalf and fight on my behalf and be a warrior champion fighting our battles for us? Oh, it's amazing. When, like, David kind of got a glimpse of this in Psalm uh, chapter 18, verse 2. I want to read this to you. He kind of got a glimpse of this where he says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He was kind of getting a picture of who God really is. He's mighty. He's mighty. He's more than enough. He's more than able to do it. He's more than able to give me victory. He's more than able to be my protector. He's more than able to be my provider. He is my mighty God, my champion. This is powerful. This is powerful because this is who God is. Not just to a guy who's writing scripture, but to you and to me. To you and to me. And like C.S. Lewis, I don't want an image of God. I don't want my image of God. I want to see God for who he is. I want to see the true God. He, it, he, it, it's, it's impossible to put a limit on God. But so many times I find that we can be guilty of taking a limitless, undefeatable, undeniable, uncontainable God. And putting him in a little God box that's formed by our perception of who we think he is and our perspective of who we think he is in our lives. Because we have our image of God, but we don't have, we don't have the perspective on the true God and who he really is. Are you with me this morning? And so we limit what God can do because of the experiences in our life and what we see and what we go through and maybe how we see him operate in other people's lives, you know. And we put him in here and we limit him on who he can be in our lives because of our perspective and because of our perception of who he is. So God becomes something that sits in a box on a shelf And when we need healing, we run to the box and we take it off the shelf. And we go to God to be our healer. But then we put him right back up there. 
Because you see, that's our perception of who he is. And, and when we're going through a tough time in life and we need God to, to give us some kind of peace because we're at our wit's end and we don't know what else to do in our own strength, we run over to the box and we take the box off the shelf and we use the God in the box to give us the peace that we need. And then we put him right back on the shelf. Because we've put the all-powerful, mighty God, that warrior champion, that, that omniscient, immutable, omnipotent God, in that little box of our preconceived ideas and notions of how he can operate in our lives, either out of convenience or insecurity or just lack of knowledge. And I would preach real hard right now, but I know there have been times in my life where I've done the same thing too. You go, you go through a season where you need provision in your life, and you know you can run to the box and get the provision from the God that's in the box. But God's intention is to never be in a box. His intention is to be in every area of our lives. Not just be something that's convenient for us to run to when we need something to happen. But to be an ever-present help in our life. To be the eternal God. To be that friend that sticks closer than a brother. To have a relationship with us. That's his desire and that's what he wants. Not just to be some kind of box that you run to. Or that I run to. And <clears throat> I was thinking about this kind of wrestling through this message, not to come up with a message, but wrestling through this with myself because I know there have been so many times where I found myself in a way limiting what God could do in my life because I have a limited perception of life because I'm human. Like, I'm not all-powerful, so it's hard for me to grasp the concept of being all-powerful. I know that I can fail people and I can let them down. So it's hard for me to understand sometimes the, the, the gravity of a God who has never failed and will never forsake and will never leave, you know? And I was thinking about that because sometimes how we perceive God affects the level of victory that we operate in in life. Am I preaching a little bit now? It affects the level of victory that we can operate in life because I don't know if you thought about it before, but our perception of God often limits the level of faith we can operate in. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So my perception of God can either limit or take the limits off the level of faith that I operate in. And this creates a problem, though, because God responds to basically everything in our lives in accordance to our faith. When we go to him in prayer, God responds to our faith. Amen? He responds to our faith. Faith, in a way, acts like a bridge between our situations and our circumstances and the victory that's on the other side. The provision that's on the other side. The healing that may be on the other side. 
Faith, in a way, acts as a bridge. So if I perceive that God can do what his word says that he can do, then I can take the step of faith and trust him, and that bridge of faith connects me to what I need to see happen in my life. But if I have an improper perspective of who God is, then I can't have the faith that's needed to get me where I need to go. Is that making sense? Perception can become a powerful ally, and it can become a powerful enemy when, it, when you talk about your faith and your walk with God. Uh, when, we, when we, most of us in here, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we're saved by what? We're saved by faith. Through what? Through grace. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Saved by faith. Through grace. Because of what Jesus did. So we're in a place trapped in our sin and in bondage to sin. And we feel this tug on our heart once we come to, to the knowledge of the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done and our perception of who Jesus is as our Lord and Savior sparks the faith inside of us to receive him as Lord and Savior. Because the Bible says in order to be saved, you have to believe in your heart and then confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, that spark of faith that's there. It's that faith in what was done that gets us to cross over to receive the grace of his love and his forgiveness and his mercy in our lives. Are y'all tracking with me? That faith becomes a bridge. I mean, think about how awesome, how awesome the, the act of salvation in our lives was. I think all of us used to be in bondage to sin. All of us used to be trapped and locked up in sin. All of us used, used to carry that. All of us had no hope. And God sends his son Jesus to this world. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Our Lord and our Savior, God himself wrapped up in this fallible flesh to walk this earth, to give his life as a once and for all sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And when he hung on that cross and said, it's finished, it was finished. The price was paid. The deal was done. You were covered and I was covered. And all we have to do is accept what he did on that cross and the sin that has bound us, the sin that contaminated us, the sin that separated us from God and was sending us to hell is forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That is awesome. When you stop and think about it, it is awesome. When he hung on that cross, he breathed his last breath. The Bible says that there was a storm, that there was an earthquake, the ground shook, and that even in the temple, they, stuff was falling off of the walls. And the Bible says that the veil in the temple was ripped in two from the top to the bottom, that veil that separated us from the presence of God because we had no access one-on-one -on -one with the presence of God. That, that When Jesus died, that veil was ripped in two and giving us symbolically access to the presence of God, to have a relationship with him. It was ripped from the top to the bottom. God says, you can't come to me, but I'll come from the top down to you. I'll rip this thing from me down to you to give you access. That's how awesome the act of salvation is for us. And it's unlocked by simple faith. 
this God that spoke everything into existence and did what was unthinkable with salvation, to pay the price for all of our sins. And not, it didn't just stop there. Three days later, he rose from the dead and came back with all the authority, all the power, with the keys to death, hell, and the grave, the Bible says. An overcoming warrior champion for you and for me to defeat sin that we could never defeat on our own. That's just amazing to me. And I think about the miracle of salvation and how awesome it is. And that that is the greatest miracle of all. It doesn't get any better than that. That is the biggest. If if God never did any, I can't think of anything he could do. The act of creation, in my opinion, pales in comparison to what he did on the cross. To take your place and to take my place. And I think... I have faith in God to give me that forgiveness. And why do I sometimes have trouble having faith in the God that can do all of that to help me pay a bill? How can I believe God to do that for me and then have problems sometimes? We're not understanding when I go through a difficult season and challenges that are there. When I know I have a promise on the other side, why, why sometimes do I struggle with that faith that's needed to get me from point A to point B when I'm already believing God to have done so much for me? You know, and it's, sometimes I feel almost hypocritical in a way. To know that he's the God that can do all of that. But sometimes because of my perspective and what I see, I take the God that can do all of that and put him over there in that little box. You know, unbelief can be absolutely crippling when it comes to moving from here across that bridge over to here. You think about the, the children of Israel <clears throat> when they were coming out of Egypt. Moses was leading them out, and they saw all this awesome stuff, guys. They saw all this, all this awesome stuff. They saw all the plagues that God was hitting Egypt with, and then Pharaoh finally said, enough, you guys got to get out of here. We can't take anymore. So they go out of Egypt, and while they're leaving Egypt, the Egyptians are lined up giving them gold giving them silver, paying them. Here, take all you want. Get out of here because we don't want any more of this happening to us. Just get out, you know, is what they're saying. So they were in bondage, in slavery, but on the way out of the kingdom, God used the people that held them in bondage to be a means of provision. There were slaves in the city, but when they walked out, they were rich with the wealth of the people that held them in bondage. That's how awesome God is. That's what they saw happening in their lives. And, and they go out to the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh's army, and they watch God split the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground. Then they watch Pharaoh's army get destroyed by the sea that they just walked through. Because what was their avenue of deliverance, God also used as a means of victory in their life. They saw all this stuff happening. God gave them a pillar of fire by night 
to lead them through the desert, not just so they could see where they were going, but so that they could be warm at night because it gets cold at night in a desert. He was a cloud by day going before them to show them where to go, to give them protection from the sun so they could walk in the shade. You want to talk about traveling with style back then? Their sandals didn't wear out. He was bringing water out of a rock to give them stuff to drink. He was feeding them, giving them stuff to eat, seeing all this awesome stuff happen. And they walked right up to the banks of the Jordan River, looking at the promised land that God said they could have, looking at the promised land that God did all of that stuff to get them to. They sent spies out into the land, and the spies came back and they said, Hey, there's some big grapes in this place. There's all kinds of good fruit. Everything that was said to us about that land is true. Oh, by the way, there's some really big giants in that place too. And 10 of the 12 spies said this. They said, when we saw them, we looked like grasshoppers to them. And we saw ourselves the same way, kind of paraphrasing. We felt like grasshoppers before them. And because of their perception and because of the perspective that they had, they put the God that had done all of that stuff to get them to that point into a box, and they stalled at the Jordan River. The Jordan River is an insignificant little river. There's not much to it. They could have easily crossed. They could have easily went over. But because of perception, they didn't see God as being mighty enough to give them the victory over the giants that they saw. And an entire generation died on the banks of the Jordan River in a wilderness, feet from the promised land that God had given them. Faith being the bridge that connects us from where we are to God's victory. And I would, sometimes I kind of want to say, those guys were idiots. They were dumb. Why, why couldn't you believe God? You saw him do something, and then I'd think about my own life, guys. And i got to be honest, man, there's been so many times in my life where I've stood at the banks of my own Jordan River, Knowing the promise that was there, but seeing the price also, or seeing the challenge. And I don't know if it was doubting God so much, or or if it was me doubting myself, but there have been times in my life where he's gone there, and I've been content with sitting on the edge of the Jordan. And I'm wondering if there's any of us in here today that have maybe experienced that in your own walk with God. Where God's given the promise and we've seen him move and we've marched right up to this point only to stall within sight of what he's given us because of the perspective and the perception that we have of God and his ability to do what he says he can do in our lives. And that affects the faith that we're able to operate in. Jesus ran into this problem with the disciples because they were trying to cast this demon out of a guy, and, and they tried to do it, but they couldn't do it, so they went back to Jesus in Matthew chapter 17. And 
They came to him and they said, the disciples came to Jesus in private and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. See, he didn't tell them that they didn't have faith. He just said, the faith that you have is so little. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus says, you got faith, but the faith that you have is too small. And what's funny to me is the example that he gives them of the kind of faith that they need to have is a mustard seed. It's kind of like an insult in a way. Your faith is too small, but if you just had this itty-bitty amount of faith, you could see mountains move in your life. You could see some powerful stuff begin to happen in your life. And Jesus does this size comparison. He says, it's mustard seed-sized faith to move mountain-sized problems in our lives. Mustard seed moves mountains. And sometimes we just need to put a little bit of mustard on our problems, I guess. Just spread it on. Mustard. Just put it on there. It's like you put mustard on a good hot dog. A hot dog's not a hot dog without mustard. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Put mustard on it. Mustard-sized faith. Mustard-seed-sized faith. To move a mountain-sized problem. You know, mountains always in Scripture. Jesus was using this as a size comparison, yeah. But in Scripture, also, when mountains are, are mentioned, they're always mentioned in the context of obstacles. Um, it, they, they're used to symbolize, symbolize immovable problems or objects. I'm wondering maybe how many of us in here today are looking at mountains in our lives. And maybe it's not that we don't have faith, because most people would say, I believe in God, I have faith in God. Maybe it's that the quality of our faith, because of our perception, isn't where it needs to be for the mountains to move. I know there's mountains of addictions that are in here today. And you've been looking at it for years. Some of you have been wrestling with mountains called anxiety. And it's not like you haven't prayed to overcome it. Mountains of depression. Mountains that look like financial challenges. You got mountains in your life that look like family. Sometimes mountains in our lives can look like hurt and unforgiveness. That stand in between us and what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be. And the level that God wants us to operate at. And Jesus is saying if it's just, just that mustard seed sized faith can move those mountains. He said it's not that you didn't have faith. It's just that you didn't have enough faith. And then he showed them something. Have y'all seen how small a mustard seed really is? I brought a picture to show you. This is scale to show you the size of a mustard seed. There it sits on someone's fingertip. That mustard seed, so small. Jesus said, if your little, little bitty faith could just get to be that kind of little, it would unlock a potential for God to move in your life that you haven't been able to see yet. 
This is what I've learned in ministry, and this is what I've learned from studying the Word of God. God's a gentleman. He gives us free will to choose what we want to do. He's never going to force himself on any of us. And this is what I know when it comes to issues of faith, and when it comes to needing to see God move in our lives, without him, we can't. But without us, he won't. Many times. It's that faith in our lives that unlocks the move of God, the deliverance of God, many times for many of the issues in our lives. And Jesus is making this size comparison between mustard seed and mountain. Mustard seed and mountain. And then I got to thinking, maybe there's something different. That There's a deeper kind of truth sitting here on this passage of Scripture. And maybe it's not so much about the size comparison. Maybe it's about the size comparison that Jesus is making and about something else, too. Because this is what I know about a seed. A seed is untapped potential. A seed will stay dormant until you put it into good soil and give it the right conditions that it needs to flourish and grow. Did you know that inside this little bitty mustard seed is a huge tree? I want to show you what a mustard tree looks like. Most people have never seen it. This is what a mustard tree looks like. Now go back to that mustard seed, if you will, Teddy. Mustard seed to a mustard tree. Mustard trees get between 15 to 20 feet tall. Sometimes they can get up to 30 feet tall. All that little bitty seed needs is the right condition. The tree is always there inside the seed. It's there. It just needs to be in the right condition to explode and grow. And I was thinking about this. And I thought, well, if he's comparing faith to a seed in comparison to the mountain, maybe there's also something there with the seed. And I was thinking... When the Bible talks about faith, it says that faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And the Bible says that the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. That living and active Word of God. That ignites, that gives that faith that we need. And I was thinking, maybe it's not so much about the size of the faith that's needed. Maybe it's about the essence of what's inside the seed. Maybe it's about the environment that we put the seed in to allow the faith to grow. Are you still with me this morning? Because that seed is just a seed until it gets in the right condition. That mustard seed, that little bitty seed that can move mountains doesn't do much until it's in the right conditions with the right soil, with the right water, with the right conditions. Many times, I think, our faith doesn't have the essence and quality that it needs to have because we don't give it the conditions and the environment that it needs to flourish. I think maybe we walk around with kind of a small mustard seed type faith 
But we're not watering it with a word sometimes. And we're not cultivating it with a relationship with God. And because we don't have the perspective that comes from knowing who God is from his word. And we don't have the confidence that comes from having that deep relationship with God. I think sometimes that affects the level of faith that we're able to operate in. Because our perception of who he really is is inaccurate. We see a God in a box instead of the God of the Bible. We see a God in the box instead of having the perception and the perspective of the God who is the limitless God. And because we don't cultivate that faith with the conditions that are needed, we're not able many times to overcome the issues and the problems in our lives. And so God stays here with our problems. God stays here when we need provision. God stays here when we need deliverance. God stays here because he needs that faith. He needs that trust. Now, there's times that God will just move in your life, but many times God confines himself to move in our lives at the level of faith that we operate in. And we can't have mountain-moving faith without giving that seed the right conditions to flourish and grow. Maybe it's not just about the size of the seed. Maybe it's about the quality of the essence of what's inside it. Now, I'm wondering... Today, how many of us have got God operating out of a box like this? When he wants us to take the lid off and turn him loose to see what he can really do in our lives. Because this is what I've learned in my own life, is that when I think I'm putting God in a box because of my perception of who he is, I'm not really putting God in a box because my God doesn't fit in a box. What I'm doing is I'm putting myself in a box. And I'm limiting what I can see God do in my life. I'm limiting the healing. I'm limiting, I'm limiting the provision. I'm limiting the, the, the level of anointing and power that I can walk in. Because I put myself in a box. Because I built walls because of a lack of relationship and a lack of understanding of the word of God. Because I've, I've limited my understanding of who he is. And because my perspective hasn't changed on who he is. I sit at the edge of the Jordan River in areas of my life. I don't put him in a box. I put myself in a box. And I'm wondering how many of us this morning are sitting in a box waiting to get released into the freedom of knowing who God really is in your life. I think today it's time for us to take the lid off of this thing and to let God turn us loose. I think today it's time for us to take the lid off of this stuff and see God for who he really is. And let God be who he wants to be in our lives. Dave, if you will, please come. We're getting ready to close this morning. This is what I know. This is what I know. Too many people walk through life too long without understanding the potential of who they are in Christ. Too many people walk through life settling for circumstances that God never intended for us to go through. Not saying that you won't have trouble in life. I'm not saying that you won't go through storms. Jesus even told us that we would. But God is our mighty champion. God is our mighty champion that goes before us and fights our battles and gives us the victory before we get to the storms of life. So we go through it 
having overcome it. See what I'm saying? I think too many of us are stressed out over stuff that God's already handled. I think too many of us are losing sleep over stuff that God's already provided for. I think, I think, we're, we're, I think we're walking around with hurt and unforgiveness with, because, with, 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 and carrying stuff that we don't have to carry when God has already given us the healing that we need. But we've got to cross that bridge and get out of that box to get to the other side. And maybe you're here this morning and that's you. Maybe you've got faith, but the essence and quality of that faith and that, that revelation of who he is. Because that's the thing. It's faith flows from our understanding of who God really is. Because when you understand who he is and what he can do, that gives confidence to move forward and trust what he says he can do. Faith often sits in proportion to our understanding of God. And that comes from our understanding of who he is from his word and the reality of who he is that we experience out of our relationship with him. Now, if you weren't taking notes, you should have on that. That was good stuff right there. But I think many of us sometimes find ourselves camped out looking at everything because we're limited because of our perception of who he is. And maybe that's tainted sometimes because of our perception of us. And I'm here to tell you this morning that what God is able to do in your life has very little to do with you. I think we wear ourselves out and we exhaust ourselves trying to fix situations that God has already taken care of. And we think that God provides for other people and God, God is the healer for other people, but not for me. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God is a God to them and God is a God to you. He's no respecter of persons and you have the same access to the same power that I do, to the same healing that anyone else does, to the same provision that anyone else does, to everything that the Word of God says that you can have, you can have it. Because He loves you so much. If you will, let's all stand. As we get ready to close this morning.